Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest, I'm delighted to have Yosef Johnson back on the podcast. Yosef was previously on the podcast back on episode 86. On this episode, Yosef and I discussed many topics, including what's new with Yosef and what's new with Ultimate Athlete Concepts. Yosef shares his thoughts on how important maximum strength training really is for non-strength sport athletes. Yosef discusses his thoughts on special strength training. Yosef speaks about why introducing an intense stimulus too soon in an athlete's development is not optimal. Yosef speaks about training efficiency and the minimum effective dose. And Yosef speaks about how to balance the paradox of training specificity versus variation. Guys, this was a great episode with Yosef, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, Yosef Johnson, it's an absolute pleasure to have you come back on to the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. Uh, just for the listeners who may not be too familiar with who you are, Yosef, just uh, fill us uh, in on the background. And now, again, I'd, I'd imagine that most people listening will, will know who you are, as, of course, you were a previous guest. But maybe just give us a little fill in the background again and then give us some updates of what's been going on with you. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Robbie. I really appreciate the invitation to come back on. And, um, you know, my, my uh, background or um, whole scenario is a little bit different than most everybody's. Uh, I started out as the athlete, and I was just kind of over 20 three years ago now, and uh, I was looking for answers to how to develop my athletic ability. I wanted to try to play college uh, basketball, mm. and I wasn't born with uh, great talent, just uh, average or slightly below average probably would be my guess. Um, so I started seeking stuff out, reading books, ordering books through, you know, and, and at that time, this is in the early 90s, in late 80s area. You know, the only things you found were things that were like in the back of a magazine, like a little ad, and you know, it's like increase your vertical by eight inches in two weeks or that kind of stuff. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of serious uh, information out there. Uh, but I came across an ad in, I think it was in Muscle and Fitness magazine uh, for a book called Secrets of Soviet Sports Fitness and Training, uh, written by Dr. Michael Yeses. Yeah. And... It was funny because I looked on the back cover and I'm like, wait a minute, I've seen this guy before. There was a there was a picture on the back with him and Todd Morenovich. And Todd had been kind of billed as like mm. this this scientifically designed athlete because he was he was phenomenal. He was the first athlete to be on the uh, cover of Sports Illustrated in high school. And uh, his results were, you know, amazing. He was breaking a lot of uh, quarterback records in the country. So um, I'd seen him on TV too, so then I was really intrigued. So obviously I ordered the book, I read it. Uh, I called to uh, University of California, Fullerton, to find Dr. Yeses. He wasn't there anymore. He had already retired. Tracked him down to his house down in Escondido, California. And uh, I was in his living room about two and a half months later. And uh, and it went from there. And so, you know, what happened was, for my own career, I had a herniated disc at L5-S1, and I had another illness called chronic fatigue syndrome that was brought on by a near fatal case of pneumonia. So my ability to tolerate training and, uh, you know, physical exertion was not, uh, good at all. It was terrible at that time. Um, and so, you know, it was difficult to maintain. I was getting results, but it was 
really hard to maintain. And I was starting to have a family. Uh, my oldest son was already born and I was married. And so that kind of faded, unwillingly faded as time passed. And uh, people started asking me questions about, uh, you know, hey, what did you do? You know, uh, and so I kind of got guesses just and I stayed uh, in touch. We started working on uh, some athletes together. And then uh, somewhere around 04, I think it was Dr. Bereshansky emailed me and asked if we would be interested in buying or buying and publishing uh, the rights to uh, special strength training, which was this book was had originally been written in English, if you can believe it, which and he didn't speak English. So it was gobbledygook. And uh, Dr. Yeses was able to make sense out of it because he had already read it uh, previously. But uh, so that was kind of the beginning of the publishing stuff. And um, so I, I, I've been working with athletes for a number of years, gotten really good results, figured, you know, that something we were on something there. And then also with the, the books uh, that brought on a whole new, you know, everything took on a whole new life. And then about three years ago, one of my authors, Dr. Rick Bruner, uh, wrote the Explosive Ergogenics, which is a book that was geared towards athletes, not really so much bodybuilding. And uh, we started a, a supplement company called Neutromic Sports Nutrition. We have one flagship product and we're working on getting the next one hopefully uh this fall uh ready so that's kind of how that is so right now right now here we are you know 12 13 years later we're over 20 books i got now it seems like i'm getting more busy i got about six seven books in the pipeline uh and a new uh, supplement product in the pipeline so beginning getting busier uh and having a lot more new books and, and introducing new authors so it's it's more exciting now than it's ever been yeah, sounds like things are really getting busy for you and picking up. And are you still currently training at least, did you say? Yeah, so my, my scenario uh, has always been kind of funny because I never like overtly like I, – I don't have a dedicated place. I worked out of someone else out of a gym, and I never like, you know, was looking to build that business necessarily. I just kind of let it be word of mouth. So it would kind of go up and down, you know, uh, accordingly. So right now I'm working with a group. I'm doing a couple of things, actually. I help, uh, you know, kind of serve as a, a mentor to guys at different colleges like at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, uh, Michigan Tech University, uh, University of Richmond. I've helped Jay out, uh, you know, for a number of years. And, uh, you know, other ones like uh, Gardner-Webb um, uh, down there, Chris McCormick. Helping those guys out kind of, you know, uh, guide them through a process of how to, how to lay things out. And then also with Jeff Moyer at DC Sports Training. So, um, so that aspect. Then, then we also work with individual athletes, which I, I don't know how many we have right now, but we have a decent group of individual athletes that I'm working with. And then uh, about a year ago, I was hired to be a consultant to uh, a local school district in my area, where I'm working on, which is this is a little bit different, working on the PE program, uh, you know, from the bottom up, so from the younger kids all the way through high school. It hasn't been just directly with teams and coaches, but it's been like trying to develop a physical education program that would be look more like a curriculum though than, than just recess, you know what I mean? And uh, so uh, that's been interesting too because it's a new experience for me. The whole thing's a new experience for me dealing in that arena. Uh, I've learned a decent amount and uh, and it's been rewarding so far. Great stuff, great stuff. Uh, what was one of the main reasons I wanted to get you back on was you did a great podcast with uh, with Joel Smith on, on his Just um, just Fly Sports podcast. And uh, I was actually just pulling up notes here on. But this concept of 
training efficiency was one of the teams and other things where you spoke uh, about special strength training and then you also spoke about introducing advanced techniques too early in an athlete's career but let's touch back a little bit on the idea of how important maximal strength is in an athlete because you made some very good points in that podcast um, and I suppose you know as well as I do most not most, but a lot of coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, physical preparation coaches, are very much wrapped up on the numbers that at least are in the weight room and not really considering how much transfer there is to their actual sport and is their sports performance actually improving. So maybe just give your thoughts on maximal strength and how important you think it is to the overall development of an athlete. Yeah, so it's a, it, that's a kind of a two-pronged question. Is uh, I look at it two different ways. One is, how important is maximal strength? And that's one question. The other question is actually, how did it get developed? Mm. Because you can develop maximal strength a number of different ways, many different ways, right? And how that gets developed, I think, will have a, uh, a, a great effect on, on how transferable it is. So, first of all, how, how important is maximal strength? You know, it plays a role, uh, but it's given way too in my opinion, in the United States especially, it's given way too large of a role, mm-hmm. you know, because the way that I look at this is, is this, because I'm a simpleton, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist, and I wouldn't even call myself, myself, a, a, you know, a, an advanced coach, I'm more of a, <laughs> you know, like a, a handyman variety in this area, I just understand what I understand, and I try to apply it, you know, in ways that make sense. The only difference between me and other people is I can call the world's expert on the matter and get an answer, and everybody else can't. You know, I, it's uh, I'm the, the world's experts are accessible to me, mm. and that's simply because I'm lucky. So that's not because of another reason. So what it is is this: number one is it doesn't matter. Yeah, it plays a role because it's gonna uh, it's gonna facilitate the things that you need in the sport. Uh, so at the early ages, you know, strength. And I hate to call it maximal strength because people get the idea that you're talking about one rep max. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't ever use a one rep max. I don't even use ninety percent ever, ever. Uh, and and Dr. Bandarchuk would say the same. He never uses it. Yeah, I think um, one, one of your one of your quotes from from Joel's podcast was Bandarchuk also said ninety percent is just too slow. It just moves too slow. Now, now that doesn't mean that you could never use it. But as a general tool, it should not be integral. Like Yuri would maybe put together a block of 90% where he uses like what he calls the stimulation method. Now, that in that context, it can make sense where, you know, they're doing a depth jump five off of a, six, a 90%, you know, lift. But but that also has to be kept in, in mind that this is high, high level. This guy is at the very peak of his career, and he's been training at least 10 years under the supervision of a high-level coach. This is not just something that you, you know, just do flippantly. It's serious business because you can get somebody hurt. And besides that, it may not, it won't be effective if, if the guy's not ready for it. It won't be effective anyway. It'd be worse. So, uh, so, so number one, does it matter? Yeah, you want to develop strength. And, and and I think here's the thing that 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 where we would diverge from from mainstream right now is here you would they would if you said well okay you're developing strength. Uh, what are you looking at? Well, the bench, obviously, the squat, power clean, maybe maybe a deadlift. What we do is we look at strength from head to toe because the whole body plays the sport, correct? And they all matter. And so I'll see people where they do nothing for the uh, the, 
to develop the gastrocnemius and soleus muscles. But they matter. There's no sport where you don't use them. Uh, and you use them a lot. You know what I mean? They say, well, they're not big power producers. Well, that's not, number one, it's not true that they don't contribute a lot. But secondly, if you don't train them, then you've got this inequity, right? And then you also have uh, this propensity to get injured, too. Uh, and so, you know, would somebody in sprinting say, well, how, how strong is your guys' hamstrings? Nobody ever asked that question, right? So I think one thing is don't look at maximum strength. Most people look at maximum strength in a powerlifting lens. Mm. How much does he squat, bench, and deadlift, and then throw in a power plant? That's what they – now, you can have a guy can do all those three of those things really well and suck at the sport terribly because if, if, if that's all we needed to do, the powerlifters should just walk into any sport and dominate. And, and the, the fact is they suck at all of them. They can't they, – none of them, high, real high-level guys, can play sport because they're slower than molasses, right? So, uh, so, so context is relevant here. Number one, how strong are they in the, let's say, the glute ham raise, the back raise? How, how strong are they? How strong are their abdominals through a full range of motion? Um, you know, how strong are their obliques, you know, for rotational athletes? All these different things. Uh, I think those matter. So it, we look at developing the whole body, every joint action and its movement. Or I'm sorry, every joint in its joint action, in, you know, through full ranges of motion. So then after that, how did we develop it? Did we use 90%? To, re and to, to get X amount of improvement and you shot their nervous system? No. What we want to do is use a low-intensity model, especially in the beginning, uh, where we can develop really good strength without really killing the guy's nervous system or really taxing them you know, way too much. So we, we would do something around – we would start in the area of around 60%. Uh, and, and, and you know, a lot of people now have talked a lot about the 1 by 20 method. To me, it was always just – our first phase, Dr. Justice and I didn't have a cool name for it yet. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, was, it was just, hey, in the first phase, I wanted to do 20 reps. Okay, second phase, you know, that, that's all that was. It wasn't any more involved than that. So, uh, yeah, so so how, how did it get developed? And we, we support a very low-intensity model because it, it does work. It works very well. And even, I think, over in the U.K., it's uh, Michael Rennie has written some papers on this. Uh, and Dr. Yesis had done his doctoral work uh, in the area, too, way back in the 50s. So it's not like it's new news. And even like with uh, Do uh, Dr. Bandarchuk, him and I talked about it. I don't know if we did it on a podcast, but he said, he said, look, you know, if you're using, let's say, 20 reps, he said, those first 10 to 12 are endurance. He said, but the last three or four are for strength, just as much as, you know, the other ones would be. He said, when you're going to failure, the last couple ones are developing strength, maximal strength. Mm. So, you know, it gives a little bit of a different context. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, uh, another topic that uh, you know, it's it's an area I still need to do a lot more uh, research and study in, and then obviously application is the concept of special strength training. And you know, you spoke yeah. about that on Joel's podcast too, and, and um, you know, you uh, you had a really good quote there. Now, um, I'm just gonna pull it up here while while I have the notes in front of me, if I can just get it. I can get it now. Where was that quote? I'll, I'll find the exact quote in a second. But paraphrasing, it was basically you were saying that uh, special strength training it, it isn't. It, it's more about learning rather than the actual stimulus or the training effect of it. So right, maybe right. like, can you just get into like special strength training? And another thing too is where does that fall within? the training session and I suppose even within like the organization of the training program. So I know Kirwin and Flat, 
he would put his his special strength exercises kind of sandwiched in between after his sort of speed work and before his power work and then his strength work in terms of a session structure. But is there also, I suppose, on a more meso sort of um, meso cycle level, are, are we also we're going to go for more general to specific? So that obviously, as, the, as we get closer to the athlete's competition, would it be more special strength stuff going on there than obviously in the earlier cycle, but more general stuff? So maybe just give all your 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 sort of full thoughts of special strength training. Sure, sure. Okay, so if I get off track on this, just pull me yeah, back. Yeah, I, no There's a couple different directions that goes in for me. So. <laughs> no, actually, just before you go, the quote is, in the early stages, special strength is more for learning than it is for training. That was the yeah, quote. yeah. Okay, so so here's the thing. In the initial stages, when you're training an athlete that's younger, and let's back up one, one more step. When when Bereshansky, Isarin, Bandarchuk, Platonov, uh, Petrovsky, all these guys that are on the highest level in the world, Andachuk, they only wrote for high-level athletes. They did not write for the athletes that we work with because most of us don't have high-level athletes. Mm-hmm. In the United States, we think that even a pro athlete is a high-level athlete, and that's not necessarily true at all. Well, I see. Did, did, but after after we get through this section, like that, that is a good question. Like, what is an elite athlete? Because I think the first thing that pops into most people's head, just to digress for a second, I think most the thing that pops into most people's head is like Olympic athletes. But I've worked around some Olympic athletes, and like I've seen like uh, like and don't get me wrong, at their sport they're elite, but at other endeavors they weren't that impressive at all. Like you know, in terms of just yeah. like general strength stuff. So again, that makes you question again the importance maybe or the transfer of some of that stuff because they were outstanding in their sport. But yeah, it's funny like what is elite? You know what I mean? So it's uh, yeah. yeah. The, the definition is, is, is not very clear here in the United States. And the reason why is because we we um, confuse genetically gifted with high level. Mm. They're not synonymous words. Yeah. So if you look at somebody like LeBron James, genetic anomaly, obviously. I mean, you know, you've never seen anything like him. Is he high level? No. Because he hasn't been under the supervision of a high level coach for 10 yeah, years. Yeah just, you know, gradually developing his physical abilities, right? I, I would dare say, you know, it, it's incredible as Usain Bolt is. I think he had a lot of room for improvement. Yeah, I heard uh, you say that on Joel's podcast. Because you were saying... Yeah, the guy sets the world record at 24. I think it's a dis- the rest of his career is an absolute disappointment. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. How do you break the world record in your early 20s and you, and you go downhill from that? I just think that's an indictment of either the person or the coaching, or maybe there's some injuries we didn't know about, but I doubt they lasted six years. So I think that, in my opinion, I don't think that he was high level. In terms, and, and once again, can't get that confused. Genetic freak off the charts. I mean, he's just like, a, he's a unicorn. But, by the same token, was he under the supervision of a high level coach for 10 years, making steady progress those whole 10 years? No, he wasn't. Mm. And uh, so you, you you could you could conversely say then that there are probably people who who because of their genetics they don't get those same sort of results as a LeBron or, or a Bolt but they are elite yeah. in terms of they've they've milked every last bit they actually did get that supreme coaching and they they milked every exactly. last bit of their potential. You could have somebody who's not that great and they're high level because they've milked all they can like you said. And the Russians look at it this way they're like look about the first four or five years you're low level in the middle somewhere. You know, three to four years, give or take, your your intermediate, maybe shorter, maybe longer, uh, and then 
you know, they, they normally figured around eight-year minimum before anybody would start talking about you as a high-level athlete, right? So maybe you started when you were 15, and by the time you were 23, you had been in that system. And see, one mistake that is mistaken conclusion that's drawn is that the, the Russians said, okay, if the guy can achieve this level in his event, then he's high level. But that was amongst a genetic population that is far different than ours. They had a more homogenous group where we have this ethnic uh, you know, blending in the United States that you don't see anywhere else in the world. So we've got people who are just genetic freaks in you know, certain categories. So we couldn't set the standard up in the United States saying, well, if you can do this, you're high level. You can't do that here because you've got guys that uh, who are born doing better than a guy who, who are naturally gifted enough to where they could do better than the guy who's been trained in 10 years. And this happened, there was a, I, I can't remember which one of the, the, the books that, around, that kind of surrounded the 10,000 hour rule where they talked about a high jumper. He was born and he was in uh, Europe, I think Nor Norway or Finland, and he was really good. He'd been training for a long time. And then this kid out of nowhere just starts and he's beating him right out of the gate. Well, obviously, he's not high level. He hasn't even been training yet, but he's genetically gifted. It would be like saying, you know, if you worked a long time to get your Ph.D. and you're do and you work really hard and then you got uh, Albert Einstein walks in the door. Well, he hasn't worked at it. He was born that way. So it's that's what they meant by high level. It meant under supervised training under expert coach. For a minimum of eight years to getting gradual progress to getting to where now getting progress out of you gets much more difficult. That's a high level athlete. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, so, so, but the, so that, that was because I digressed from the original question. The original question was on special strength. Give us your, your thoughts yeah. on special strength. Okay. So, uh, so ba basically, give us like a, a little mini like course in special strength training, like everything yeah. you know about it. Yeah. So here's the thing, you know, we think we'll look at stuff and say, well, you know, the Olympic lifts are great for developing power, uh, you know, in, in, in all the different things you need in sport. So which is true. Um, but once again, if it was the only thing we needed, then uh, Olympic power or Olympic weightlifters could dominate every sport, too. Once again, they can't. So uh, we need some special strength. Now, here's what's crazy. People will will poo poo like. Something like uh, an exercise for the hip flexors, uh, uh, the extensors, and specifically duplicating the action. Say, well, it doesn't duplicate what really happens. It doesn't duplicate the force. Well, let's just put that aside for a moment. Are the, do the hip flexors do work during the workout? Yeah. When you sprint, do they work? Heck yeah, they do. When they when they work, uh, are they you know do they need to be really strong? Absolutely. What's anybody doing for them? Nothing. And when 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 Yuri puts forth his, his dynamic correspondence kind of, you know, uh, recommend not recommendation, but requirement, he says, look, it needs to duplicate. Not only it needs to use the same muscle, but it also needs to duplicate the same action. So it's not the hip flexors as the knee comes really high in front of you because it's right. They're just riding momentum. Mm. It's the hip flexors when the foot's way behind you right after the push off. That's what is fits dynamic correspondence. And it also fits the recommendation Bondar Chuk makes for, uh, you know, it's got to use the same muscles, the same range of motion, same level of intent, you know, uh, high amplitude, blah, 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 all these things. Yuri and, 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 and uh, Anatoly agree. That's, that's the definition thereof, right? So initially, 
with younger athletes, the general exercises have a great deal of carryover, and it's wonderful. And then slowly you introduce some specialized movements in, but they're more for motor learning because one of the things that you can do with the specialized exercises, especially at low intensities, is start to ingrain the neuromuscular pathway so the motor ability of the athlete improves so that when, let's say he's 15 and he's learning these exercises, as time passes, his running technique's improving because you're introducing it at a low intensity level and it starts to carry over into his running because now you're developing that neuromuscular pathway in a real solid way. And another way of saying it would be you're developing the myelin uh, pathways in the brain. And so at those stages, you don't need a lot of intensity, just like you don't need a lot of intensity in, uh, in the other work for that level of athlete. Now, the other thing is, is that the Russians found out in the 70s and 80s that uh, in the 70s, they were 80-20, 80 general and 20 specialized strength in the percentages. In the 80s, it went from 20 to 80, so that, that the ratio changed. Yeah. So it was 80% specialized in the 80s. So I, I would say it's a pendulum where, you know, like you, as they're younger, our spectrum, when they're younger, it's, it's more general, some specialized, especially just for learning. And as time passes, that just kind of transitions over into the specialized movements being more the centerpiece and the, and the general. Because at, at, at the, at later in the career, if the athlete's general strength isn't already there, you, you don't know what you're doing. I mean, that's just fact. You know, you can easily achieve the general strength levels that are required at the high level. That's easy to do. What's harder to do is to get now the other strength training methods that you're using to apply and to transfer onto the sport. That's where the difficulty arises. And that's where you'll, you'll focus more on the specialized movements uh, in the, uh, you know, as time passes. And they'll, be, they'll become more of the centerpiece. And they'll be the thing that generates the uh, power you know, for the movement. And it's less about learning because now that's already been developed. Does that answer the question? I hope. No, yeah, it does answer the question. So just another thing is, what is the criteria then in choosing – a special strength exercise. So yeah. I, I know that I know Verkusansky and Sis spoke with dynamic correspondence. Is is that kind of are they the main tenants that you're looking at in terms of I think that this exercise will have a a transfer to this athlete's sport. Yes. Because I, I know Kier got very sort of creative, if you like, with some of his special strength exercises um when he was with the Argentina rugby team. Um and he shared some of those with Jay DeMay on his podcast. You know, okay. and and uh, I just found it very interesting. And just you know, obviously reading through Super Training, and, and um, it's it's been a part of my master's course. This concept of dynamic correspondence and the the, sure. the criteria that Perkishansky and Sis spoke about is is that kind of is that sort of the blueprint that you guys sort of follow in terms of trying to design a, an exercise you think may transfer? Yeah. So here's another thing that I have that I have an advantage over other people. I don't think coaches, I think it would be a little bit tricky for a coach to develop specialized movements. And the reason why I say that is because you, you really have to have a background in biomechanics, mm. a real background, mm. uh, to be able to look at the action on film and say, okay, what's actually going on here? You know, what movements are involved and what muscles are involved in that particular movement? You know what I mean? And how do we duplicate that? So, yes, Vereshansky and Bandarchuk. Their definitions are what we use as our, um, our, you know, as our model. Now, having said that, I've had uh, 
you know, the, the, the good fortune of being around Dr. Yeses for, you know, the past 23 years. And his specialization is in biomechanics. Yeah. And so what that's allowed, the, 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 the advantage I got is he'll, I'll say, well, you know, we're looking at, you know, this guy plays this sport. He goes, okay, here's the things that we want to develop, these particular things. And I'll give you some examples. So let's say he's a baseball player, right? It's a rotational uh, sport. Well, what are we doing for rotation? Well, he'll use what he calls a Russian twist that's done on the glue ham machine. Uh, might use a reverse trunk twist that'll help increase flexibility around the trunk and, and also strength. Uh, then he might, as, as it develops, the strength develops, he might use plyometric med ball exercises that duplicate that rotational movement. Once again, he might use a back raise with a twist. Uh, there's a bunch of different movements, a Russian twist. He's got all these different movements uh, that will help develop that. And those will also won't be implemented in just one general way. In initial stages, it'll be for learning, right? Low intensity, learning, high repetitions. And then slowly as time passes, it'll come at a higher intensity level, uh, you know, and become more of a focal point. So that way, you know, I think that um, first having it defined is, I think it's better for a coaches to maybe consult with somebody. Because even like Bondar Chuk, when I talked to him about it, I asked him, I said, so when you were looking at, at exercises, I said, how do you, how did you, you know, determine? And he said he would call Dr. Donskoy, who was one of the higher level biomechanists in the Soviet Union, and, and, and talk to him about it. And then establish, are we biomechanically sound on this exercise? Is this making sense? Because I've seen this a lot uh, on line, on YouTube. People say, well, this is a specialized move for such and such. And it's no such thing. It doesn't duplicate the action. Uh, it does not, it do, I, I doesn't even recognize what's going on in that particular uh, event. Like if it's a baseball player batting, it doesn't even look what actually happens. They, they put a movement together and it kind of, you know, vaguely resembles it, but it's really not, uh, it's not a biomechanically sound. So I think there's a lot of errors made on that point. And I see this happening mainly coming from the physical therapy world. You'll see a lot of people dipping over under our side. Uh, and presuming that they understand what's involved in the movement, and they don't. Because it's not their background, so that I don't think they should have to either. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it. You know, I suppose with, with a lot of stuff that's been around lately with dynamic systems theory and, you know, attractors and fluctuators and the work of Franz Bosch, and Franz goes into a lot of that in his book, Strength and Coordination, Strength Training Coordination, and this idea of, you know, like the actual transferability we're getting out of some exercises. And I suppose another thing too is that... um. You know, a question I want to ask is when an athlete is becoming more elite in their training, um, how much of a role does general exercises play? I suppose it's similar to Bondarchuk sort of classification of exercise that, you know, he always has those four classifications of, yeah, there's general preparatory, specific preparatory, specific development, and then the competition yeah. exercise. And is it just a case of, you know, from going from your beginner stage, intermediate to advanced as you go on, the sort of ratios of importance and time dedicated to each one of those four categories is just sort of, it, it changes as we go along again. Probably from more general, less specific, to more specific, less general, then as the athlete goes on. Yeah, so so the general exercises have an application, but what you're doing there now is you're not looking so much at developing maximal strength so much. Yeah, That's becoming yeah. just a very small piece of that action. Yeah. What you are doing, and I know you've had uh, uh, 
Brian Mann on, you know, a number of times, and obviously he's one of our authors now too. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you'll just start using the, the, the velocity-based idea. Um, and uh, but but the key is 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 like Bondarchuk may use them in short cycles of maybe like four, uh, you know, four weeks. And what he'll do is he'll say, okay, we're going to use a squat, let's say for a half squat at a 60%. Yeah. Now, the next phase, we're going to use that. We're going to use a different movement. We're going to use a step up at 50%. Yeah. So what, got, what what Anatoly's idea is, is to take the general movements but keep rotating them to keep the body off guard. Yeah. So he'll rotate the movement, you know, through five or six different variants, maybe even more if he can. And he'll also change their percentages each time. So every time that he each new cycle, all the exercises change. Every one of them changes, and they all change in their percentage. So those general lifts now become valuable to you again in the sense that they can stimulate the nervous system, and they're helping still the hypertrophy, uh, the hypertrophy of best-switch fibers. Yeah, it's funny because I, I, I can remember Charlie Francis sort of spoke on a similar concept with Ben Johnson in that, you know, early in Ben's career, right, he obviously did more general stuff. And then there was this sort of phase where Ben started to become more elite and run sub-10s consistently that a lot of his training was, you know, fairly specific. But then his strength training, as Ben got even more elite, his strength training dropped back to even more general again because he didn't want it to be so um, similar to the sport-specific movements in terms of CNS um, fatigue, like, or, you know, just more sort of drain on the CNS so that he wanted his general exercises to be really general so that, again, he could get a bit of stimulus to the nervous system without tapping into more of his reserves that he needed for the, the sport-specific activity, which is sprinting in Ben's case. So it seems to be similar with, with Dr. Vonderchuk in that he keeps the general stuff real, real general then again so that it's not, as you said, like, uh, you know, he, it's another way to stimulate the nervous system, but it's not going to eat so much into that CNS reserve uh, and take away from the sport-specific um, training. Right, right. Those workouts, like like with the, the lower percentages, are not um, taxing mm. in the in the classic sense. They're not like, oh my gosh, you know, you totally wiped out for a couple of days. They're they're relatively, you know, yeah. uh, e- I don't want to say easy, but they're easier, you yeah. know, on the athlete. He he can bounce back from them. Uh, and, and so he's using like like right now, I work with a baseball player who's at a high, little bit of a higher level. I wouldn't call it high level, but more intermediate level. And, you know, we're using just percentages on the general lifts. And then we go into that same workout. We'll be working on our specialized ones. And by the way, you, you talked about sequencing of them. I, I didn't answer that correctly. The sequencing of, of the specialized movements in the workout, this is the way that we would use any 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 workout. It doesn't matter what it is. If you're going to work on technique that day, you do that the very first thing. Yes. The second thing, if you have plyometrics involved, then the very next thing you would do would be like a depth jump. Mm-hmm. That needs to have absolute, ener- you know, highest levels of energy. Yeah, if yeah, you're not yeah. using them that day, the next thing would be your special strength exercises. Okay. Yeah. From there, you would go into your general strength exercises, mm. and then from there, if you were going to do any type of quote unquote conditioning, that would be where that would fit in. That's that's pretty much yeah. That's pretty much the model I would utilize. Uh, similar to care, so I would have done sort of a warm up, and then it may, if we had any technical tactical stuff, it might go there, and then would have been our our plyos or explosive med ball stuff. And then would have been, you know, if there was any speed stuff to be done that day, then there, and then then would have been special strength into strength working in or energy system. If it depended if all that stuff was on one day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that, but that, just like what you just said, that's the general order that we would go yes, in yes. because you need the athlete to be pretty fresh for special strength because yeah. that the, the execution of the movement matters a great deal. It's got to be, you know, dead on. 
Is there um, is there a time where you would do it in a fatigue state though, just in terms of you know skill acquisition and introducing fatigue to it, or would you just only ever do that with a sport specific skill? Yeah, I wouldn't do it on a fatigue ever in a fatigue. Yeah, no, just, state. Just, no, just, because, just because the brain learns something differently. So you think you're going to be able to recall it back in a race or in a competition, but the brain's got two different memories: what we did when we were fresh and what we did when we were tired. Yeah. And, and how do you know what it's going to pull on, right? Yeah. And the, the body's mechanism is a little bit different yeah. uh, with those. And so that's why and I, we're not a big fan. We're not big fans of, of doing stuff under uh, under the influence of heavy fatigue yeah. necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, next question I wanted to get into was this idea of introducing something, uh, introducing a, a very advanced technique too soon or introducing too much of an advanced stimulus too soon to an athlete, and yeah. then losing losing the full benefit you could have got from that actual yes. execution of that specific stimulus if you'd weighed it and introduced it later on when the athlete was more prepared and ready. So maybe yeah. just just touching on and is just on that is is there actual like research on that or is it just a is it a is a sort of concept based of just like logical thought processes? You know, I my guess is, and like I said, you know, I've asked. I ask the high-level guys, and it's kind of like, you know, this is kind of what's interesting for me because it, it, it's it's weird. I'll ask, you know, the guys that are the experts in the world on there, and they're like, well, no kidding. You know, to them, it's like elementary. Are you kidding me? That's not even a good question. You know, when I ask them the same, you know what I mean? When I ask them the same question, they're like, well, no kidding. It doesn't work. Um, so the, 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 the introducing something too early is kind of like, Let's say you have a, a kid in sixth grade and he's just getting done with his, maybe he's learning fractions. And then you then you put him into a class of like a third year calculus class. Mm -hmm. What's he going to learn? Nothing. Yeah, yeah. So, not only is he not going to learn anything, he might come out worse because now he's more confused than he ever was. And his confidence could be broken a little bit. Because he doesn't understand those concepts. Does that make sense? No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I get where you're going with this. So why introduce something that has no value to the athlete and consequently could actually be a negative in the long run? And here's what I mean by that. Dr. Bandarchuk, him and I, and, and I, a lot of these things that I'm, like I'm relaying here are conversations. They weren't in a book. Because I think the thing where, you know, if you everybody has read a lot of the different books. All your listeners are very well read. But they haven't had the conversations. So this is something that I can bring into the picture that is at least a little bit more unique. I asked him, he said, look, he said, if you go with something too high level for the guy, he said, the problem is, number one, it doesn't work. He said, number two, you've ruined the kid because you can't come back to that again. Because his nervous system was set up a defense against it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's your, 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 your body's adaptation reserves are being used uh, against it. He said, so then when you come back to it, it won't be effective. So... The, the challenge is always how can we use the slightest stimulus possible to get the results so we can keep milking this for years to come instead of just focusing on this next eight weeks. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and again, there's a quote here saying, like Bonnetrick says, if you use something that's more intense than you need, then you come back to it. Uh, then, sorry, if you use something more intense than you need, then you can never come back to it. Yeah, you never can. You come back to it, and it won't work. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and because what you did is you put – this is what, like, Dr. Yes and I both said. They said, 
you put an imprint on the nervous system and it doesn't go away. It's there forever. Mm -hmm. And so you can't come back to that and try to make that imprint again because it's no longer plastic, right? It's yeah. not pliable. It's not. It's not a brand new stimulus. It has. It's not a, yeah. It's yeah. like yeah. it's it's, it's basically like uh, the 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 concept of hormesis with vaccines. You know, it, it's the you know you give it that little bit of dose and the body's like, oh, I, I've actually experienced this before, so it won't get the maximal stimulation and adaptation from it. Right. You're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was interesting. Again, and as we said offline before, I, I originally read about that in Berkshansky's um, um, Strength Coaches Manual, the, the second edition one, uh, um, which is yeah. which, which is a great book. So I remember reading that and, and finding that that concept and that idea very interesting. Uh, which which brings up a good question then of, you know, this concept of it's it's this paradox and this contrast as well. So the universe works in contrast, you know, day and night and hot, cold, left, right man woman you know we, the universe needs that contrast to be able to differentiate and to be able to make sense of reality around us but this big paradox of uh specificity ver, uh, versus variation because we know that if you keep doing the same thing over and over again you're going to have the you're going to have diminished returns the law of accommodation or what's also known as adaptive resistance so there does need to be some type of variation within the training so like it's in terms of like the sport specific skill, or where we're really getting specific with an athlete's training, in your uh, sort of thought processes and, and philosophy, how how do you try to avoid accommodation when you're at those sort of highest levels? And you you, you do need a high level of specificity, but obviously too much specificity is going to have a diminishing return. So there does need to be some type of variation. And now we can drive variation through many processes. But I would just like to get your thoughts on this idea of, of yeah. you know, specificity and the need also to have variation in there. So, again, this sort of paradox between the two. That's an excellent question, and it, it, it's, it's a question that I'm faced with when I work with, like I said, I have a baseball player who's working at a higher, a bit of a higher level. Mm. And so we use a lot of specialized movements. Now, here's what we do, though. I will change the muscular contraction okay. regularly. Yeah. Okay? So I'll give you an example. So we may use like a, uh, a, a hip flexion exercise for running, and, and Dr. Yes would call it the knee drive, okay? What we might do is we might do it one session where we use bands that where the, 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 the uh, resistance increases to the range of motion, right? Then we might go to, an, in the next phase, where we go with, uh, where he has to pull a uh, cable, you know, with the weights, you know, on, on the cable, right? Where the resistance is the highest at the beginning of the movement, right? And then what I might do is I might do a combination of the two, which will kind of be like when people put like bands or chains on when they do a squat. I'll put the 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 uh, that the bands onto the cable machine and hook the cable machine up, which creates a different dynamic. Mm -hmm. uh, then I'll also use like an isometric dynamic where we might hold the athlete in the beginning phase of that movement for like four to six seconds and let him go. And so you get that high, you get the fibers, more fibers kind of kicking in. And then you let it go and duplicate that real fast action that'll happen next, right? Yeah. Um, you can also put vibration over the top of them. Uh, and I know with the eccentrics, you can put uh, intermittent perturbations uh, throughout the movement on the specialized movement. So you've got this wide range of stuff there, like different types of contractions. Now, the other thing that you do, once again, like I talked about earlier, is you rotate the percentage that it, it, they do it at. Yeah. So let's say, for example, I might have the athlete do it at 80%. For strength, and then the next cycle he might come back and do it for fifty percent, or he might come back and do a different contraction 
or 50%. So it's totally different. And here's the thing. You've got enough variety in there to where you can keep spurring along, right? Now, there's there's going to be an end to that at some point, you know, with what we currently know, right? But but you would be surprised how far you could take it. And I'll give you an example. The baseball player that I have, we've been doing this, using that for a couple of years now. Just in the last, I would say, six months, he's added five miles an hour to his bat speed, baseball bat speed. So now he's up to a level that is major league level and kind of getting up into the higher end. And this is after having been training for five years, using the, the same ideas. He's still getting good results, good good improvement. Yeah, yeah. It, it was interesting, too, because <laughs> I was at, I was at Altus for three months. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, studied under Stu McMillan. And, obviously, Stu was dealing with fairly high-level sprinters. And, you know, Andre DeGrasse, sure. Andre DeGrasse being one, Amir Webb, Curtis Mitchell, um, Kofi Wilford, like a lot of great guys there, uh, Chevelle Harkin, and obviously had some great female athletes out there too. Um, but uh, what he what he was playing around with or utilizing was this concept of adding like a lot of variation to their sport specific skill, and he would do a lot of things like complex and so like he might complex their acceleration work like with a run rocket into um, maybe a, a drop in acceleration and. He would just constantly sort of add this slight variation to the task. So he was very much a proponent of this environment, task, organism, uh, constraints-led approach um, to kind of keep them constantly stimulated. So they were getting a lot of specific work done, but not so specific that it was just like it was just like routine accelerations of the blocks over and over. Or it was just routine flight 30s. He would always add this sort of layering element of maybe doing like complex and two, three, maybe even four exercises back to back. Um, you know, on on all our days. So even on like our lactic more velocity days, he would maybe do a, a wicket run into like, you know, an eighty meter run down on the track. Um, so and he would add maybe some constraints and like a stick over their head if he felt that the athlete needed a little more like front side mechanic or just to stay a little more upright and more vertical ground space. And I don't want to speak for Stu, and obviously there's other reasons why he'd use certain things, but it was interesting, you know, because he, he's very big in the moment and uh, he's he's very big. Um, in skill acquisition and looking at this true dynamic system sort of theory model and it was just interesting to see how the application from the actual theory was being put into practice with elite athletes seeing, seeing what Steve was doing so it was very interesting No, you, no it's exa- it, the, the, the concept is exactly right yeah there might be times where like uh, and you could you might have heard Hank Crane huh? oh yeah oh, I, know, I know Hank well I know of Hank well yeah yeah Hank's one, I mean he's brilliant yeah. and, and, Cra- and, and, crazy crazy bastard like, but he's great yeah, I love him. I mean, you know, because he explains it in a way that I understand. Yeah. You know, it doesn't feel too far over my head. Mm. Um, but 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 yeah, you know, like let's say for example, you might use uh uh you know you might have him sprint with a, a weighted sled for a while, mm. and then you might switch to one of the other assisted running models, or maybe you do uphill you know sprinting. I mean, there's all these variants, and in, and in team sports, what you might do is have them wear weighted shorts. Where they actually go out and play the sport in the shorts, right? Mm. Uh, with slightly with slightly heavier condition, and then they take the shorts off and they play the second half uh, in the other one. Because now the muscles were firing precisely in the way they're going to fire in the competition under harder conditions, and then they took the shorts off. Now it's easier, and they're firing with the same amount of power. I suppose a question someone's going to ask though is like, where does it become detrimental then to the actual sports task if you interfere with it too much then? Like, what if you had too much weight on it or, you know? Oh, I know. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so the principle about it is this. And, and uh, 
Dr. Zasiorski talked about it briefly, I think, in his book in, 90, in the 95 book, uh, Science of Practice. If, like he said, for example, like he said, if you're going to use like a, a running shoe and you're going to, to, you know, to sprint with it, he said you want something or, or let's say it's a, a weighted, a weighted sled would be a better example. If the, if the weight changes the way that you run, it changes the technique, then it's too much. Mm. So Hank Kreinhoff's rule of thumb is the speed should only change about 10%. Now, does that correlate exactly with the technique changing? I'm not exactly sure because it might be different with other, you know, with various people. But but basically, the rule of thumb is, and Zaziorski is obviously the, the eminent biomechanist in the world uh, in our in our field as far as uh, that goes. He said it just can't change. And Dr. Yester said the same thing. He said we got to keep the technique within a, a very small bandwidth when we uh, overload it. It's got to be just minimal. So normally, normally, and I'm and this isn't a rule, but like. You might have like up to two pounds on the hips while the athlete's playing. That's not much. You know, you're going to have like a couple ounces and they're, and they're placed in all different uh, various positions uh, around the thigh so that the hip is engaging that resistance in, you know, in, in multiple, all the different directions that he plays in. You know what I mean? Um, and so it'll be minimal. The, the uh, resistance, like one of the things like with the running shoe that might have, a, have a, uh, an advantage is that when you're doing it, the resistance only gets heavier as you run faster so that the technique should stay within that bandwidth theoretically, right? I'm not saying that that's a superior training tool to anything else, but just that that idea allows for you to stay within that context of the technique. And lastly, like let's say you're using a running uh, sled, for example, and you have it around the waist. Well, now the guy might start bending over. What it should be is wrapped around the center of gravity because that's what needs to be moving anyway. If you put it around his waist, you could change his technique by having him lean forward more. Yeah. But if it's around his hips, around the center of gravity, then he's going to have to pull that forward. And that's a different concept. And I did one that might seem very subtle to other people are not even are negligible, but it's actually important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, finally, just, just wrapping up here in, in terms of, uh, you know, I, I, I use this word and I know Mike Robertson is another guy who uses a lot this term efficiency you know we, we want to be as efficient as possible with our athletes in terms of we want to get the maximal benefit with the least amount of accumulated load and fatigue and, and risk of injury to the athlete and another quote you had on joel's podcast was you know if i can get an effect from a 12 inch box in depth jumps and we're not going to get any better effect if we go up to 24 inch why would i go with a 24 inch and i think you know like it's kind of an old cliche but a lot of people think more is better whereas really better is just better so I mean, maybe just touch on that in terms of, um, you know, this idea of minimum effective dose and, you know, this idea of efficiency with our athletes and kind of, I suppose, the more sort of, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier on about introducing a, 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 too, a too intense of a stimulus too soon to an athlete and then kind of kind of ruining that, that stimulus we could have saved for a later point in their career to push them past the plateau or whatnot. But maybe just touch on efficiency and what that means to you and then just... Off the back of that too, you also sometimes them like again, it's like a pendulum, you know, some people are like, oh, minimum effective dose and gotta be efficient, and then like you can get some coaches who are too scared then to push their athletes and it's like, mm, this guy can actually do a little bit more now. So it's kinda of like a little bit of balance there as well. So maybe just touch on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let, I, I'll talk talk about that first. Here's the reason why. This is what happens. This is and like I said, you gotta remember I'm an outsider looking in. I don't have an education in the field. I didn't go to school for this. Uh, and I've never worked in an official capacity at a school or anything. What I found 
from the outside looking in is that the industry could be very much monkey see, monkey do. Yeah, yeah. So they hear a cool terminology, right? Hey, like, like this went through a phase of everybody was monitoring was a huge idea, right? And they're like, you know, we're monitoring the status and we're developing this capacity and that capacity, a lactic, lactic, blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, being a layperson, I'm like, okay, well, can the guy play a sport better when we're done with this? Because if he can't, then we're wasting our time, yeah. number one. Uh, so I think that there's a lack of grasp. Like people are like, uh, like, like in our field, kind of like the fitness, or, or not, yeah, fitness industry, I would say would be similar. It goes too fast. Like you see, you know, you'll see, uh, uh, you know, aerobics was back in the, the 80s for all the women, right? Now it's Zumba. What's different between Zumba and aerobics class? Nothing. It's the same thing. Just dressed up differently. Uh, it's like, uh, like putting lipstick on a pig. Uh, and most of the fads that we go through, you, when you talk to the world's experts and all, a lot of the guys are, you know, 70 years old in the book and they'll tell you like, listen, this isn't new. They tried this back 35 years ago. Now they just call it something different. And, uh, so everybody was, there was a time where everybody was screening their athletes with a functional movement screen. That's kind of started to fade a little bit, right? People aren't looking at that as, as, as big, as much as they were before. Because everybody thought, well, I got to do it because everybody else is doing it. And that must be what the cool kids are doing. Instead of looking at things from a real critical eye and saying, does this matter to what I'm trying to get done to, to the end result? Right. So I think that, number one, people lack don't grasp concepts nearly as well. Everybody wants to, there to be something new, the new, fancy, sexy training idea instead of grasping what's already out there, because there is nothing new. The past 25 years have rendered almost nothing. A little, you know, you have little things here and there, but there are no new groundbreaking ideas since I've been in the field. You know, the Soviet Union fell apart in 90, whenever, 91, whenever that was, and there's been nothing much new. Little things, but nothing new. So with that being the case, I think this is the problem. Introducing new ideas is more for the coach than it is for the athlete. Because a coach wants to try out a new idea that he's he just learned about. He's all excited about it. And he's not even thinking about the context within which he's about to use it, the athlete, right? So I think this, uh, one, just to keep on the, the, the idea where the coach is at on this, this is more about the coach's temperament than it is about what he knows. So when they asked Warren Buffett, uh, you know, many years ago, are you just smarter than everybody else? Because your, your track record is phenomenal. And he said, absolutely, actually, no, he said, there's a lot of guys way smarter than me. He said, but my temperament is better. I know how to be patient. And they don't. Uh, everybody wants to jump onto the next new thing. When if you've got something that is working, you just need to stay the course with it. And uh, I think that applies directly into our field. People get anxious. They get too excited. I help coaches directly. And they'll tell me. They get excited. They're like, okay, can we do such and such next? And I'm like, why? We don't need it yet. Let's use it when we need it. Uh, even people that are educated and smart, and I'm talking about PhD level guys that I know personally, and they'll tell me, they're like, man, I've got to really control myself because I get excited because mm -hmm. I learned about something new and I want to go try it out. And the, but, but, but it doesn't apply, right? And I did the same thing when I was younger. I would hear about something new and I'm like, yes, hey. I heard about this such and such. And I'm thinking that, like I learned something new he hasn't heard about, right? Which is stupid to begin with. But he'd be like, no, he's, they've done that. That was 20 years ago. It's not that big of a deal. You know, and I'd be hard-headed every 
went out and tried it anyway, and it didn't work. Just like you said, it wouldn't work. And uh, so finally, I got a little older, a little smarter, and realized there's not much new under the sun. So doing something because you know because it's a cool thing is is the problem. So the way I look at it is this. What does this athlete at this stage of the game need right now? What will move the needle? Because if we say we think his maximum benefit this year, and I'm just going to use this as an example, is to increase his vertical jump by three inches, and that's using a 12-inch box on a jump jump, and I can't get any more than that out of it. Why would I go to 16 or 20 or 24? It doesn't make any sense because at least next year I can get some result out of 14. Or, and then 16, and then 18. But if I go jump up to the 24, now I just got no no more benefit than I was going to get. Maybe worse. And then I just totally ruled out 16, 18, 20. You know what I mean? You just ruled out all the other ones. Uh, now you can't use them because they're not going to be effective. That makes no sense at all. But I think people are very short-term thinkers in that way. And then also they get too excited about you know moving things along or new ideas. And you always have to be contextual. Just the way that a doctor has to be contextual when he gives medication. Uh, you know, if you have, you go in with, a, uh, you know, an infection, he might give you 100 milligrams of an antibiotic. But if it's a three-year-old, he might give them 10 milligrams of the same antibiotic. Because 10, 100 milligrams that's effective for you can be devastating for a three-year-old because not only does it now kill everything, you know, a, a bacteria, it kills everything. And now his own immune system won't work. It won't bounce back because you wiped it completely out. So you have to be, there's a reason why doctors use doses, right? You know, yeah, because yeah. if uh, if an aspirin uh, will cure a headache, that's great, you know, but 15 aspirin, that'll be the last headache you ever had. Yeah. Like it's, uh, I've often said it to other coaches and obviously athletes and even students when I used to teach as well, that what happens an awful lot of time is people will see someone who's at chapter 30 in their career and they're only at the introduction and i'm like you, you, you can't skip to chapter 30 and start doing what they're doing you, you, right. you, you, you need to go get their autobiography go back to the introduction chapter one and that's where you need to start and, and ask them so like it's, i heard chad wesley smith say that one time he's like you don't don't do what the elite are doing go to the elite and ask them what were you doing when you were my age or what were you doing like 10 years ago where i'm starting right now like so you know, don't. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. So don't don't like what have you done to get where you are now? Because I'd like to get where you are now. So like yes. So instead of going to chapter thirty and starting the introduction of chapter one, just uh, just to summarize there real quick again, uh, you also because uh, yeah. Uh, just to go back to the the special strength uh, exercises. Um. So just for the listeners, even just for myself, just so I get this. So what what was the criteria that you guys did use? To, to to develop special strength and exercises. So what's the criterion based upon like what exercises did we pick? So like when, when like I, let's say if like with your baseball player or a soccer player yeah. or a sprinter, uh, yeah. or like even I, I suppose I'm trying to get across because I brought up Kieran and Flat earlier on, and and Kier looked at the game of rugby and the demands of rugby from a. Yeah from that sort of biomechanical standpoint and obviously yeah. he looked at it through a, a, you know a biomechanics bioenergetic biodynamic standpoint and then from that he sort of he created his own special training exercises but again so like i asked earlier on do you look at that sort of dynamic correspondence or so like when you sit down and, and you're going to say right these are the special exercises i'm going to utilize like how do you decide exactly what to use obviously some of it's going to be off the individual athlete in terms of if there's a specific 
you know, weakness or areas you need to work on, but maybe also with, with a sport or like, let's say if you got into a sport that you haven't really worked with much before, like yeah. how, how would you go about deciding or designing the special strand exercise? Yeah. yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and, and actually, it's, 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 I think it's very, very um, relevant question um, because I look at the sport and uh, when, when we're dealing with the athlete, I'll say, okay, what, what, what sports do you play? Okay, he plays, let's say, let's play, say he plays American football. Yeah. What are the biggest actions in American football? Well, he needs to run, right? He needs to cut. Um, and if he's a, a quarterback, let's say maybe he needs to throw. Mm-hmm. So I'll look at, I will take it by what actions are actually taking place in the sport. Not so much from the, what they would call a bioenergetic standpoint, because I think that's another conversation. But yes, from, yeah. a, from, a, from a biomechanical, biodynamic point of view, what, what I think is relevant is what things does he do? Well, most like team sports, it, it's a lot simpler than people than it sounds because team sports, uh, for the most part, require a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, right? like they're, like they're, they're, run, 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 they're running base. They have multi-directional. Yeah, I know what you mean. Man. It's acceleration. It's change of direction. So football, he needs to cut. So we need to look at specialized movements for his change of direction. We need to develop his hip abductors, adductors through the range of motion they can track. Yeah. Uh, we want to use maybe a lunge and side lunge to help amplify that a little bit further. We want to use a knee driver and paw back. Um, we want to use maybe um, – uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you another example of baseball. We might use what we call a, a, a back bench press where the athlete lowers the back to his – to his chest with with a weight on the end of it, right? To his chest while he's on a bench, and then he puts it up in the, and he extends it fully, and then he and then he turns his wrist over the way he would when he bags. So that would be I would pick that because it's baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I might use another exercise of shoulder medial rotation for baseball and, and volleyball because they both are in the same position when they throw or when they spike the ball. The, the position that they're in is very similar. So. At this stage of the game, I already know when I get an athlete, I'm looking at, I know what exercises I'm looking at, right? Yeah. I, I'll say, okay, they played this sport. Okay, so we're going to add that. And what I'll do is in the initial stages, I won't bring them in. I'll let the athlete gain mastery over the generals. And then we'll get more specific. So you know, you, then you, we'll start to integrate one or two in at a time so they can learn them. So you, you wouldn't utilize or introduce special strength training exercises straight away? No, not, not in the first stage. Because... Like a lot of guys, maybe they can't even squat properly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you like even even like even even say with a more vertical integration model, like Charlie, like it, it, it like you could still have maybe one in there, but it just would be very low, low emphasis. Whereas it, like it could be that like eighty twenty again, like you know you're. Yeah, 80. yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, like even in the beginning stages, wherever we introduce the specialized stuff, there's still a small percentage of the population initially. Yeah. It it, yeah. it grows over the course of. Yeah, years. that that's yeah, yeah. I'm, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that that, that makes that makes sense. And just to, in terms then of special strength training exercises, long term, is it more about then adding bits of variation in to keep to keep it a to keep it a stimulus to the organism, or like because again the thing with specialized special specialized exercises, you can't overload them so much because they're so specific to the task so is, is it just a case of adding very slight variation in them to keep to keep them as a novel stimulus as, a, as an athlete's career goes on i think so yeah i think the biggest thing is i asked dr uh Bandarchuk, we were we were in windsor this is about 12 years ago we we're at dinner and I, I i asked him i said so what's the key now you've already got a world record over yeah yeah you know it's a good question, and, it's a good question. And, yeah with dr 
with uh, Sadiq. So Dr. Bandachuk's got he's got a world record on. I said, now what is the the next thing, or what is what is what is the edge of science right now in our field? What what do we need to do? He said, we need more exercises. Mm. And what he means, I think, what he means by that is, we need more I need more variables that I can use. Yeah. You know what I mean? I need more tools in here that I can create more novel stimulus. That's basically what you boil that down to. Is he needs more novel stimulus. You know, because it's it's, it's the fact that. You know, we've already used a lot. We've used a lot already at that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's funny because I remember hearing a podcast interview with Franz Bosch like years ago with Derek Evely. Like this is like 2008 or nine or something like that. And on that podcast, Franz said that the most important training principle to him was variation. Um, yes. In in the long term variation, you know, like I suppose a lot of people might go, no, specifically surely is the most important, and then progressive overload. But again, I suppose it depends on the context we're talking about. But I think what Franz meant as as we get like to like the very 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 elite stages, and in terms of special strength exercises, because like the, the more specific an exercise is, the less you can overload it. Whereas the more general yeah, the exercise is, generally you can you can generally like so right. yeah. The, the more specific an exercise is, generally you can't overload too much, and the more general an exercise is, generally you can overload those a lot. So you know the you're, more yeah, no, you're correct. Yeah, it, it's really when you get to the so in the early stages, it's it's general development, progressive overload. Yeah. Develop specialized movements, and then at the end of the continuum is okay. We've done everything now. Yeah. We the, the athletes already been exposed to everything, right? Yeah. So now all we can do is try to trick the body. Yeah. We're trying yeah. to keep it off guard. Here's what, and, and here's the thing: it's variation, like what you just said. Yes, that's extremely important. But here's the other component that is is important too: is that the you're looking at this guy is an individual because the guy, one guy, one of your guys might respond really well to one thing and another guy doesn't mm. uh, to the same idea. And they're both scientifically sound ideas, but the one guy doesn't work on. Mm. So you've got to be willing to change and say, you know, and, and Anatoly says he does this all the time. He says, I watch and he says, and I make mistakes. I'll say, oh, that didn't work. OK, let's back up. Uh, OK, let's try this. And he said, then he starts to figure out what this athlete's like and then he has a better idea. So I'll give you a very practical example. The athlete that I work with, like I've mentioned here, the baseball player, has a very, very sensitive nervous system. I mean, if I go overboard too much with him at all, he's no good. So I have to be really, really, like, precise. Like, don't give him too much volume. Because if I give him too much volume, it doesn't work. Now, there may be somewhere in the books that say, hey, hey, at this level, he should be taking more volume. Well, the fact of the matter is he doesn't respond to it. So, so, you know, it doesn't matter. Now, in another, and here's another example. When he gets ready to go to a competition, normal, uh, uh, normal uh, convention would say, well, you know, you probably want to end his sprinting a week out, maybe, you know, hot, you know, real hard sprinting. Now, some people might say a little bit differently, but they would say, you know, the last couple of days he shouldn't be working out, right? Mm -hmm. I have to let him go through a, a, a training session about three days out. Otherwise, he starts to dip too much. And what we do is instead of going, it, it might be the intensity level might be pretty good, but I just cut the volume way down. Just go in instead of like, let's say, for example, if he's, he gets tested in the 60 a lot. So instead of doing 360s, we might say, just do one. Just go in on Wednesday. You're going in on Saturday to, to try out. On Wednesday, do 160 and do a few other little things, you know, just in low volume just to keep everything moving. And that works with him because we've made the mistake of ending too early and it didn't work. 
And everybody's different. Nobody's the same, especially at that elite level. Nobody's the same. You're, you, the, it, there's a lot of idiosyncrasies to that athlete that you have to pay attention to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, like, again, sort of like you also have the sort of N and 1, but um, no, it's it, it, going back to variation too, because I, I met Derek Evely back in February when I was at Altus. And yeah. I suppose what Derek brought up was nearly it, like, when you kind of step back and look at it, it's kind of like, is, is, is nearly like every sort of intervention, like, is it working purely because of just, it's a new variation of stimulus to the organism? So like, cause you get like off research saying, you know, is this method better than this method? And it's like, was it really just that it was a different stimulus to the body rather than the actual method in and of itself? Like, was it just purely the variation that, that, that led to like the positive adaptation of the body. So like Derek was kind of saying, it seems to be just like very, particularly with elite athletes, it seems to be just like variation than anything else is, is such a key thing uh, as we progress forward. And he also actually brought up another interesting point to this idea of specificity versus transfer. And he's like, people get confused between specificity and transfer in that people think that if, if it, if it isn't looking specifically like something that it won't have any transfer. And he says, that's not necessarily the case. Cause because there's, there's so many other systems that get simulated. So, like, I know, like, of course, we have, obviously, there's the, the biomechanics, which, which yeah. well, then then the movement does obviously need to have some sort of similarity to the sport movement. But there, obviously, there is a there is a velocity component and an energy system component. And um, there is a, a muscular regime component. So, you know, there's many different components to it. So that was interesting as well from, from Derek when he brought that point. But... Yeah, so like he's exactly right too. Then you, you you don't confuse the two; they're both working. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and as I kind of mix up my words there on, so as you as you, and you you kind of knew what I was trying to say, but uh, what I'm trying to say now is that the more specialized an exercise is, the less we can load it. The more general an exercise is, the more we can load it. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, I just kind of yeah, and, they, and, the, and the variation between the both of them works. Yeah, you know? absolutely. They both are valuable. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's really great stuff. I mean, uh, last thing I just want to touch on is uh, can maybe talk about some of the upcoming projects that are, are coming from Ultimately Concepts. Um, yeah. Maybe again, just give the listeners a little background into you know what, like what what's going on at a uh, at a uh, UAC. Uh, I know uh, Ishran had another new book come out there. Um, yeah. I, th- I think I have everything from you ex- except that new book. So that's. Well, the- I'll, get it in the, I'll get it in the mail to you. <laughs> that's my mistake. I wasn't on top of it. <laughs> but uh, no, because when I was at Altus, uh, just for the listeners, uh, I was just at Altus, so I plodding along one day and I get this email from you also. He's like, hey, do Brian's latest edition of his, his VBT. And I was like, not yet. And he goes, uh, give me give me your address when you're in the States. And it's like, boom, got the book. And it was just like, I was just like, man, I love this guy. <laughs> well, I guess. That's one, that's one, like, I can be the cool kid in one way. I got books that everybody likes, so I can, you know, I try to make sure you guys, you know, have the good good reading material. Oh, man, uh, like, so, some of my favorite books, like, I mean, I've always loved the two block realization books. Uh, the Chuck's one that he done with Matt Thorne and, and Brian Mann, that, the, the latest yeah. one that came out, that was, that's the best, best that I've had so far from, from Dr. Yeah. Bonnerchuk in terms of digestibility. Um, we got, uh, we're getting better at it. Yeah, well, like, I mean, the, the earlier ones were just, they were tough, like, you know. Yeah, uh, no, they're hard, hard reads. Believe me, I can't read my own book, so, I mean, I'm, you know, there's no no question about it. They're not easy to read, and, and the way that they wrote was almost intentionally to be a little more confusing for yeah, you. So, yeah, yeah. We, we really got down to business on these last ones, but Dr. Bundarchuk said, listen, we got to really 
break this down. So we, we did, it was more painstaking. We went over everything together yeah. uh, to see if we could write this in a more simple way. Yeah. And I think we got it. Yeah. No, and H- Hank's book is fantastic as well. So yeah. So what, what are some of the new projects if you can mention? And, uh, yeah. 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 Um, so, okay. So uh, in the, I'll, I'll give them to you in the most immediate future. The first one is shock method from Dr. Barashansky should be ready any day now. Is that Natalia? Sure. Is that Natalia? Is it? Yeah. Natalia finished it. Uh, it was written in Spanish originally, but she, she actually updated it because she said there's more information now that her dad didn't know. Mm. So it's going to be more sophisticated than when her dad wrote it uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, I suppose, is, is there a big part of that looking at the difference between the death and the drop? I know she's pres- presented on that. There's going to be a little bit. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit. I don't know exactly if it's a, not as much. It's going to be uh, a lot more into uh, the mechanisms at play and then also how to apply these properly because the, there's a great deal of misapplication mm-hmm. on, those mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. on those exercises. That's so that one should be ready in about, uh, I'm hoping this month, and when it's ready, you just give me your address and I'll get it out to you. Yeah, um, athletic Talent came out in the, in the winter, which I got to get to you as well. Uh, that one was, uh, you know, identification. What does talent mean? I've heard great reviews on that one, so I have from a few people. I've gotten I've gotten really good feedback so far, so you know I'm, I'm pleased with that. I think it's one of these ones where God, you're working with people who are not necessarily Olympic athletes, and you need to learn like who are you dealing with, yeah, uh, and, and how do you identify who you're dealing with? Because I think a lot of people don't know who they're dealing with exactly in the sense of what level is this guy and how should it be handled. Uh, I think it's good good in that regard. Um, then I've got transfer of training three is in the final edit wow. process. Wow, <laughs> yeah. number and, number three. Yeah, and, and and by the way, he's writing transfer of training four right now, so that'll be ready next uh, spring or summer. Have you uh, ever, sorry to cross, have you ever seen the ones he personally sells himself? Yeah, the periodization book. So they they, they didn't come off really good because the translations weren't great. Uh, he wants me to do those now. Yeah, so we yeah, that's that's good because I I was gonna get those and then Derek Evely said don't. He says they're they're he like Derek's like they're not they're they're because they're expensive. They're like seventy dollars each or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. then Derek was like don't because he's like they're they're very they're not well translated and he was just like he just basically said wait because he says either you so he said someone's gonna translate his work better so you'd be better off just waiting. Yeah, we're gonna do it. We we that came up in conversation. He. When he originally had somebody else do it, the reason why was he wanted to do them all at once. And I'm like, Angela, it takes time. You know, I just didn't have the, the, the wherewithal to get them all done, you know. And uh, so he sold them to a group in Kiev. And the person who did the translations is a Ukrainian and was trying to translate it into English. And as you know, that doesn't normally work out that well. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, so we are going to do all of them. I just it, – <laughs> here's the here's the thing. Anatoly wrote me uh, or called me, I don't know, it was a year or two ago, and he's like, look, I don't have anything else, so I think that's going to be it. I said, okay. And then a couple months later, okay, I got transfer training three. <laughs> he's like, and I got this, and I got that. Oh, no, it was Soviet sport methods. He said, I got that. Then I'm working on transfer three. And then he gets back to me. I'm working on transfer four. Uh, he's got a book on adaptation that he's already written that we're going to do, and he's got a book on team sports mm-hmm. that he's written that we're going to do. So all in all, we might have up to eight more books from him. And that's assuming that he quits. So quits writing. So uh, we're looking at about eight new books of his, probably. Oh, um, yeah. So there's going to be a ton. Uh, Isran uh, is in the middle of finishing a book with Dr. Vladimir Lyak, who's at uh, Warsaw in Poland. 
Uh, it's on it's on special strength training kind of it's on coordinate what they call coordinative abilities or you know developing the motor ability in the sports um, that's in process it should be done probably in the fall um, so that's on its way uh, I've got I've, I've made an agreement a tentative agreement with Dr. Vladimir Platonov Platonov uh, from the Ukraine uh, of probably five to six books that we're going to do with him wow uh, and then Hank is writing a book right now on uh, Training. So the first one was just on sprinting. Now he's going to talk about the training thereof. That book should be ready at the end of the year. And I just uh, am in talks right now with Hocken Anderson on a biomechanics of sprinting book. And uh, that should, it'll be next year at least, but I think we're going to have an agreement on that and that, that should be ready. So I, I, right now, like I said, it's kind of funny. I started out with one book and that was all we were doing, you know, for a while. And I didn't have any idea if it would grow. And now here we are. I got more books than I can keep up with because I've yeah, only got yeah. one translator, and, and it takes time, you know. So uh, we got about twelve to fifteen books, I think, you know, in our in our pipeline now. Do you know what would be a there's a, would be a great book to get translated? Would be Boris Steko's one or Steko, you know, Boris Steko, the Russian powerlifting Olympic lifting coach. He brought out a, a book. It's it's out in Russian. It's called, just called powerlifting, but apparently it's brilliant. Uh, but uh, send, send me a link to it, and I'll, I'll check it out. Is he alive? He's a, he's still alive. Oh yeah, yeah. Speckles, uh, he's alive and kicking all right. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I, I saw him in a seminar in 2015, and he's been over back and forth a few times. But Max Ayeda, I don't know if you the juggernaut training system guy. So Chavez Smith, Max Ayeda. I, I was talking to Max, and he said that uh, when it's he managed to get an English version of it. Um, off someone, um, but it was like that. That would sell. Like I would love to get that book. That would sell like crazy because apparently it's, it's great information and so there's. Well, I'll look, I'll, I'll look into it. If he's interested, we'll, we could do it. I have no, you know, I would definitely be interested. I like I said, I'm always interested in all this stuff. And and the nice thing is, is that we kind of are the ones who can give you the um, you know, the information that's really hard to come by. Yeah, yeah. You absolutely. know, the stuff that was written in Russian because there's not a lot of people walking around that can do that. You know, do the translation. Correctly. I actually, uh, while, I, while I was at Altus over Christmas, I read your version of Dietrich Harvey's book, The Sports Training yeah. Principles. I have to say, that that was like the newer one, there. that was very, yeah. very well done. So it was very good. It, what, like, it wasn't the, the information, no, the information was quite good. It's funny, like the first like, half of the book is all about how, how the sports structure yeah. supports the fucking, uh, the, 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 the communist like, uh, social structure. It was so funny, because like, it was written obviously in the 70s. When, yeah. when when it was still a communist country, East Germany, and it's just like all about like how how our sports structure feeds into our way of life, and you're just reading now going like you know knowing that the wall fell like 18 years later and all that. This is real funny. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's it, it's funny because I that's one of, I think that's a very underrated book. Yeah, it, it is. It's got a lot of great information, and I understand it. You know what I mean? It's not so far over my head. I can kind of keep up with him. Yeah. So I, I love that book. Uh, actually, a friend of mine actually did the um, uh, fix that book up for me, um, who is uh, in Germany. Uh, and he, he said, hey, would you be interested? So we talked to Dr. Hart. Dr. Hart said, I don't care. He said, I don't even want to be involved. You know, I don't need to be involved at all or any agreement. Just go ahead and do it. You know, it was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, he, uh, we did that one just kind of on a, on a lark, and I, I and ironically, I really like it. The the gentleman uh, Marcus Brom, he's a PhD in biomechanics, and he did it uh, for me, and and it was great. It worked out perfect. Another, um, I, 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 I bet you another. Not, you already have a million one things, but these are just ideas. 
another book that will be worth trying to get redone is Carmela Bosco's one. I, I have I have the original on PDF, but it's like all old and you know, it's like yeah. scanned. That'd be a fucking great one to get. Well, if you can get anybody from his his group to to respond, I've I've emailed them a couple of times. I have never heard anything back. I just okay. dogs kind of took everything over. Um, I would definitely be interested. I just haven't been able to find anybody who uh who has the say so uh you know to do that to uh respond. Yeah. yeah but if yeah. if they would, I would definitely be interested. I think uh I'm you know obviously a fan of Bosco's. He was a good friend of Yuri's. Uh, he was a good friend of Hanks uh, and a brilliant, brilliant scientist. I would love to do any of his stuff. Oh, and by the way, I do have one more book that I just signed a contract for uh, from Peter Smolianov. He's from Moscow, but he teaches at the Salem University in the United States. Him and strength coach uh, Jed Smith from Northern Iowa wrote a book together. Nice. And we just, we're just we just finishing up the arrangement on that. That should be ready this fall, too. Wow, that's great. And so, is it is it just that did did those guys just write it, and then is your thing just getting it published and, and printed and sent out, or do you do, do you have to do any editing to it or read over it or? No, yeah, there's lots of editing. I mean, I I pay three guys actually. Wow. Uh, I'll pay the you know you got to have your your uh, number one your translator, then you have to have your editor for I have Matt Tomey does my editing for. Uh, structure and, and, and whatnot. And, and then uh, Brian Mann, Dr. Brian Mann will do it for uh, content. He'll edit just to make sure that these concepts are coming across properly. If you ever need a, a, a free external reviewer, I'll, I'll happily do it too. Well, there you go. I, well, I, I'll take a review any day. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll as, as these next ones are, are, uh, are done, I'll get them to you right away. Yeah. You know, be like I said, it'd be... We we tried we, we, we learned a lesson of running it through a couple of different because the lens I wanted it to be viewed through the lens of the average person. Yes. And so somebody who's really sophisticated won't know what an average person would ask. Yeah. But Matt and Brian do. Yeah. They understand what an average coach might be interested in. Well, I, I, I was just saying, I, I don't know Matt too well, but Brian, Brian ain't too average himself, in this, so I think he might be understood. Well, no, 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 no. I, I, no, he's not average. He's, he's well above average, but but he understands what the average guy. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. He he can relate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, no. Brian is way ahead of uh, in his field, but I think that he he'll he'll be like, listen, I'm looking at the literature, and I don't know what this means exactly. Can can we go back and ask him? Yeah. And so we'll go back and we'll have, we've had conference calls, Skype calls with all of us, and we'll ask Anatoly, okay, what did you mean by this? Yeah. What did you mean by that? Yeah. Um, you know, is this what this means, that concept? Because, you know, they use different terminology than we use. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So that's kind of how that how that works. Yeah. Yosef, yeah, listen, this has been great. Uh, there's a few, uh, one or two other things I want to ask you just offline before you go. But for today, that, for in terms of the podcast, that was absolutely outstanding. So... Um, and there's even some more little questions. I'm definitely going to get you back on again just to discuss some other things. But so we, we got to our maximum strength question. We spoke a good bit about special strength. Uh, we spoke about introducing advanced techniques too soon in an athlete's career. Uh, we also spoke with the idea of efficiency. Um, but they were kind of the main tenets I, I wanted to, to, to talk about. And this idea of, you know, the trade-off between specificity versus variation and, you know, special strength exercises versus general exercises and, you know, how we go from general specific uh, over the course of, of an athlete's career. So yeah, it was it was a re- really great talk. Really appreciate it. Um, and I I'd also I think what I'll do when I uh, when I when I put this podcast out is I'll link the episode you also did with Joel because I suppose if you listen to this and that episode, you, you know you get a really good consolidation of the information. 
Um, and obviously I'll link everything from Ultimately Concepts. So guys, definitely check that. Oh, one more thing with Ultimately Concepts. Are, are you still doing the the video cast or the podcast? Well, it's been a little bit less lately because uh, my my schedule changed uh, real dramatically, and it was harder to get it done with all of us done. But we're going to get back into some now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do a couple with Hank here pretty soon, and I'm going to do a couple with um, uh, Natalia. Her health wasn't very good for a while, quite a while. And she's starting to feel better. So when the the, the, the shock method book is ready, we're going to do some podcasts there too. Yeah. So we're trying to get back on the stick with that because we definitely fell off for a while. Yeah. I, I definitely think what would be worthwhile even doing is like doing like a, a monthly or, or two to a month webinar even, you know, even like if it was like a little membership site where people just paid $5 a month, you know, $60 a year annual subscription. And they got like two webinars a month with some of the guys there. That would be something worth looking into. You're actually talking about something that we've been discussing. Me, me and a couple of the other guys have been yeah. kind of discussing this. I, I won't be – you. I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see this within the next year. Yeah. That will be this. That would be great. Uh, you also thanks a million. And again, stay online. Uh, when I say my goodbyes to you. Uh, guys – Absolutely brilliant podcasts. Uh, love having Yosef on. Definitely going to have him back on again. Could talk to the guy all day. Absolute gentleman. Um, so uh, we, we must get you on for a, for a political podcast. Remember we were saying we must get on and talk about politics and history because that's another love of ours. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. It gets but, me more excited probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so for today, guys, that's it. Uh, if you can share this out, definitely check out Ultimate Alley Concepts. If you're an absolute nerd like me and Yosef and Brian Mann and Jay DeMeo and all those types of guys, Ultimate Alley Concepts is, is just unreal. I, I first found out about uh, you, Yosef, and Ultimate Alley Concepts about 2009-10, and I can just remember I ordered fucking everything. Like I ordered, <laughs> I ordered all those like Bonder Chalk DVDs and... Uh, all the you had one from Jane Smith and Isherin and you had then there was some from Natalia there and I just got them all like and and I got all the books and I can remember one of my first interactions with you was I I was going through the and the and the Dr. Verkajansky ones I was going through my um my Bonnerchuk ones I think was it or one of my DVDs and it was like it was like the collection you know it was like a eight set box of DVDs so I was going yeah. through them all. And one of them wouldn't work, and I was like, "Fuck, this won't work, bollocks!" So I want, I want to see episode six, and I was like, "Shit, like, what am I gonna do with the return one?" I remember I just sent an email saying, "I, I, I swear, this no, number six won't work. I'll send them back. I'll pay for shipping." And you were just like, "You were just like, uh, just give me your address. I'll send you a brand new one, no cost." And you just sent it out to me. I was like, "Wow, like that was like this, the nicest thing ever." Like, so it was like, oh, "It's my obligation, man." I mean, you know, geez, you sell somebody something that better work really well, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I always. I always am worried about it having value to people. I want to make sure of that. And so we're getting better as time goes by trying to give people good value, you know, because yeah. that, it matters a great yeah. deal. I appreciate people like you supporting us because you got to remember, this is not the most popular thing in the world. This is not like the, the fad. We're the unfad. We're yeah, not that, yeah. you know, we're not mainstream. And yeah. so I appreciate people that, that, that support us because it's a big deal, so, you know, yeah, uh, to do that because this is not an easy operation. It's, it's, Getting translated books and, and publishing is, is is hard and expensive. You're like just just, just, them with us. just publishing a book in your own language. Have you ever talk to people who are like you wrote books and it's like you just, you just wrote a book like in your own language? You're like yeah, and it was fucking work. And it's just like so. Can you imagine how hard it is to get a book in a foreign language, get it translated, and then publish the fucking thing? Yeah, it, it, it's like pulling teeth. Yeah, it's exactly. not easy. Not yeah. easy at all. 
Okay, guys, we'll wrap it up there. So, uh, again, share this podcast if you can. Uh, I'll talk to everybody soon. Take care, be well, and stay strong. Thank you.